This is the Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors podcast, sponsored by Visit Bemidji. Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors covers the lakes, woods, trails, wildlife, and anything else going on outdoors in Paul Bunyan's playground. This is Dick Beardsley, and this is Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors. Hey, we're checking in with Jason Freed of Leisure Outdoor Adventures. Uh, typically, he's way up on some lake way north or down in Leech or wherever, but he's actually not that far from where I'm sitting right now, but he's busy with his football team, the Brainerd Warriors, uh, doing some summer training here at Bemidji State, huh? Yeah, no, we've uh, kind of come an annual deal. We come up at the uh, end of, mid to end of July, whenever BSU holds it, and uh, we have a little team camp, and uh, this year they kind of broke up small schools, big schools, so we're in the big school camp with a bunch of four or five and six day schools, about 12 or 13 of us, and and uh, we go all get a little scrimmaging in, get some practice in, and uh, like I was telling you off here, get a chance to get a little kind of snapshot of what the, the Warriors and other football teams are going to look like this fall. So uh, I'm imagining Coach Stoffel and the Lumberjacks are there as well. Oh yeah, they are. Yeah, we we be sure we always make sure we find Coach Stoffel and and rib and rib them a little bit and and everything. And uh, we have a good uh, a good relationship, good friendship. And so it's uh, we uh, we actually went against them last night in seven on seven. He's doing a nice job and. It's always lumberjacks are always uh, they're always somebody fun to line up against. All right, well, you're you're in football mode, but you're going to talk fishing with me, which I appreciate. Um, I know you've been spending a lot of time up on Vermilion, one of your favorite lakes, and you've been uh, doing a lot of guiding there for Leisure Outdoor Adventures. How has the fishing been on that lake this summer? Yeah, it's been you know it's overall it's been great. I mean, it's like any time you know you kind of summer you know we got over there and I myself and we have another guy by the name of Justin Cromey who's been over there since fishing opener basically and. Uh, June was great. Uh, we had really good fishing there in June and, uh, just, it was interesting. And it's, and it was actually a, a DNR biologist stopped by the resort where we stay our, where we stay at, keep our camper and our boats and everything. And, uh, you know, we had such a, a warm spring, you know, with the warm up and, and we didn't have a ton of wind. And so the surface temps were all, you know, every, all throughout the, you know, north central, northern Minnesota surface temps were low seventies, mid seventies you know, early June, and so, you know, everybody in your mind, you're thinking, well, these fish should be sliding out, and they should be deeper, and, you know, on the brake lines, and we should be able to do these things, and what this DNR biologist actually told us when they were out doing some temperature probing was, basically, the water, the surface temps were saying that, but, like, 15 feet down, 16 feet down, the water temps were in, like, mid to low 40s, so what happened is the fish, the water's too cold, and so the fish just stayed shallow, and uh, we, we literally fished rocks rock piles and everything pretty much for about the first three weeks of june and and that was a lot of slip bobber fishing and and throwing jigs and things and then now it's you know the bug hatch started happening which it always usually does right around father's day and then um and then once the water started warming up and got a little bit of wind that was the big thing we finally got some wind and started kind of churning up the water then those fish have kind of started to slide out now and it's like anything you know we had our little kind of maybe doldrum spot there in the kind of post fourth of july and then now it's really starting to pick back up and and then, you know, the tactics are changing and, you know, it's been a lot of, you know, fish are now getting out in that, you know, 14 to 22 feet of water and, you know, we're able to, you know, rig and pull spinners and, you know, and as we get into farther into, you know, July, now into August and Vermilion is really known for a lead core bite. And, and so a lot of guys start pulling lead and, and pulling crankbaits and then that bite actually will last all the way into the fall. So it, um, it's, it's definitely, it's, you know, finally gotten caught up to where, you know, it's, it's midsummer and, and, you know, you kind of have to, you know, change your tactics and, and find the fish. And then you just got to be willing to go out there and, and, and try different things. And I've had days where we've caught them on 
four different presentations and and you just got to kind of figure out which one is is working best and and bop around and and then the other thing is it's like anything you got to take advantage of some of those those you know those windows where those you know fish are going to feed so you know early mornings and and evenings are typically the better windows uh for feeding but otherwise you know you can catch them throughout the day you just got to work a little bit harder and cover a little bit more water the uh, the thing about vermilion is it's very very different than most lakes we would fish in in what we would term generally Paul Bunyan country. Yep. And 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 what I mean beyond the islands, what makes it unique? Well, it's one of the only, if not the only, Canadian Shield Lake inside the state of Minnesota. Um, so when you think about lakes like Rainy, Crane, Navakin, um, Captogama, you know, Lake of the Woods. Right. Those are all Canadian shield lakes. Uh, so the, the, how they're made up in terms of the bottom, uh, being a lot of rock, uh, shale rock, you know, rock piles. Uh, whereas a lot of your lakes in Paul Bunyan country are a lot of sand based lakes with, you know, you have your rock piles and your points and different things, but they're a lot of sand. Uh, and so that's, that's a really big thing is just how things are in terms of, you know, how the fish relate to structure out there. Uh, and then being that Canadian shield lake. Uh, and then the other thing is has, has tannite in the water. So it's, uh, has a more of a browner stain. Uh, I wouldn't, uh, I would say it looks, you know, kind of like, uh, you know, a glass of like iced tea, um, you know, but maybe a little bit lighter. Uh, so that, that does help a little bit too, uh, in regards to, you know, light penetration and things. Uh, but even then, you know, you get that high sun that, that seems to shut them down. But the Canadian Shield thing is a real big thing. And, and, and then, you know, I mean, the, the, I would say a comparison would be, you know, like anything this time of year when these fish start to slide out and, and, you know, all, all the lakes this time of year have an abundance of, young of the year perch and bugs and other minnows and, and there is so much food in the system right now uh but the key is is these fish now relate to all over the state relate to your your transitions you know mm-hmm. so whether it's weed lines whether it's sand to mud rock to mud uh gravel you know whatever and you find those transition lines because that's where a lot of times the bugs are going or uh, the, you know the perch are relating to and then that's where you're going to find these fish and so you know from a how it looks you know, above the water and, and how it is below the water are probably its largest differences being Canadian Shield Lake. Uh, but a lot of your, your mentalities of how you fish and, and patterns and, and how fish migrate from seasonal, you know, season to season really doesn't change when you go across the whole state. Okay. Um, it's a, it's also a lake that, if I'm not mistaken, is known for great bass fishing and muskies as well. Yes. Yes. I've been doing a lot of bass fishing this summer. Uh, which I really enjoy. Um, you know, I just, it's, it's a real, just kind of change of pace for me. Uh, I love fishing walleyes. Walleyes are my favorite species. And, and, uh, but I do a lot of, a lot of smallmouth fishing, even some largemouth fishing on the lake. And, and that's been really good. And, and it's been fun because we've been able to, you know, what I like about bass fishing is, you know, I need to do the same thing with walleyes, but, you know, I get three people in my boat and I give somebody a, a vertical presentation. I give somebody a horizontal presentation. Uh, and I give somebody oftentimes a top water or something like that's a little more aggressive. And then you just have to dial in what's working that day and how those fish are relating. And, uh, and sometimes you laugh because everybody sometimes thinks bass can be so easy to catch and they can be sometimes the most finicky things, you know. So, uh, but there's a ton of bass in the lake, um, at both smallmouth and largemouth and just creates great action for people. So, you know, when you do have those longer days and you're out on the water and you're fishing walleyes early in the morning and then the bite kind of slows down, you can just switch gears and, and you can literally, I mean, there's so much shoreline in that lake. You can pound shorelines, you can fish rock reefs, rock humps, points, and there are bass everywhere. And then there's actually a really, really good population of largemouth in the lake. Uh, and that's fantastic topwater fishing. 
uh, as well as, you know, a lot of flooded timber and things like that too. So that's a great change of pace. Um, I've been, I actually don't do a ton of muskie fishing just because I don't really have as much time as I'd like to mm-hmm. put into it. Uh, but I actually have seen a lot of muskies this summer uh, on a lot of the reefs. We've had them chase walleyes, chase perch. Uh, we've had them just kind of make their appearance on the water and let, let you know that they're, they're there uh out sunning themselves or whatever but um you're seeing more and the really good thing is there was kind of a dip in the musky population there uh it's known for really big muskies and then uh, you know about i can't remember how many years ago but at least 10 years ago maybe a little bit more it was kind of its its peak uh and it was tons and tons of muskies were getting caught and then it just kind of it, it they stopped stocking it for a little while and then i'm not 100 percent sure why uh and then the population you know fish get older they eventually die and 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 so what happened is the population started going down. It was mainly just a lot of bigger fish. And then now they've really uh, put some real efforts into stocking now the last few years. And they're starting to see, you know, some of those mid-30s, upper 30s, 40-inchers uh, starting to show up a little bit more too. Uh, so that's been kind of fun to, you know, I talk to the muskie guys, and they're they're all pretty excited about the future of, of the lake and it really, really coming back and, and, you know, continuing to be a great lake. It still is a great destination lake for muskies. Um, you know, a lot of people go there because they only have a chance to catch a, a legitimate 50 plus incher. Um, but what, you know, the talk is, is just the numbers of fish and seeing more fish, uh, has a lot of musky fishermen really excited. Talking Lake Vermilion fishing with Leisure Outdoor Adventures guy Jason Freed. We'll have more on that next. And later on in the show, we check in once again with the aquatic biologist, Dr. Andrew Hafes of Bemidji State University, and we'll find out about the job prospects for aquatic biologists. I'm Jason Durham of Go Fish Guide Service. I'm proud of the efforts my fellow guides and I make to help Kev Jackson sound like he has a clue. This is Fish and Paul Bunyan Country. Be the traveler, be the adventurer, and be a trailblazer in Bemidji, Minnesota. Plan your visit to Bemidji today. Enjoy unique lodging, engaging hospitality, and outdoor adventures in a pristine, natural setting. Fish over 400 lakes or explore over 160 miles of bike trails. Then wind down with an award-winning pint from Bemidji Brewing. From hiking to canoeing to golf and live music, there's so much to explore. Plan your adventure at visitbemidji.com. Bemidji, one step further. This is Mandy Year, and you're listening to Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors. Jason Freed of Leisure Outdoor Adventures, my guest today. We are talking about fishing on Lake Vermilion. And Jason, any concerns out there? I mean, I, I, I've not heard a lot, but I'm, I'm not real close to it. Um, any AIS things going on over there? You know, there's not a ton. Um, you know, I've never really asked about, uh, you know, everybody's like, tells me, well, I can't believe there's not zebra mussels in the lake. And, and so I don't, I, there, there isn't that nobody knows. And, 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 and maybe who knows, maybe, maybe zebra mussels couldn't survive in that lake. I don't, I don't know, mm-hmm. but, um, there are rusty crayfish, uh, that have probably been the, the number one invasive species that's probably done the most damage to the lake in regards to the, the amount of cabbage. Um, you know, I remember, you know, growing up and fishing the lake and literally you could find cabbage beds everywhere, you know, and then there was pike and everything was in walleye and everything mixed around these cabbage beds. And, a lot of that's gone now, um, and actually I learned, you know, when you think about the Rusties and how they eat it, you know, and everybody thinks that they're just down there chopping away at the bottoms of the cabbage stalks, and really I learned this from uh, James Linder and Jeremy Smith with Linder Media, and they said that what they actually do is they they actually bury, they burrow themselves under the under the cabbage stalks and into the roots, and then the roots end up getting uprooted off the bottom, and, and then the, the cabbage can't grow back. It's like you and I pulling a weed, you know, out of our landscaping. Like, you pull that out, that weed's not going to grow back, right? 
Mm-hmm. And and so that's kind of what happened. So they've it, they've definitely done a lot of damage when it comes to the, the amount of cabbage on the lake. Uh, but otherwise, you know, besides the rusties, you see um, some spiny water fleas every now and then. But really, that's about it, you know. And there's nothing in terms of really weed growth or or zebras or anything like that. So I kind of guess that's maybe what keeps it a little bit pristine. And, uh, you know, and everything that kind of comes with it that makes it such a special lake. And obviously the fish, fish populations look great. Yeah, yeah. This uh, last spring when they did the comparisons, because for a long time the the east end of the lake, from a walleye standpoint, has typically always had better numbers uh, when it comes to the netting results and, and, you know, fish, you know, averages and everything. And the west side has always had fish but always more so like that's where you catch a lot more bigger ones and your keepers that you do catch are a little bit nicer but the walleye fish is a little bit tougher on the cook and west side and this year they actually found that in their netting results that nearly equal numbers um which is really good and i've actually seen more smaller walleyes this year on the west side than i've seen before uh you know like your 10 11 12 inches uh which is super promising and and you still do catch it does seem like on the west side you catch the keepers that you do catch you catch a lot more of the your uh, 17, 18, 19 inches, uh, whereas on the east side, you catch more of the 13, 14, 15, 16 inches. Um, it just seems, you know, how the lake sets up and, and you see there that the big thing is, just, is the forage base and how on the east side, the walleyes eat a lot more, uh, bugs and, you know, and things along the mud basins, which makes sense because that's why lead core bites really good. And then on the west side, there are a lot more perch eaters. Uh, so it does play a role in how you fish and, and how you attack things. Um, you know, I think that's one reason why the spinner bite has been pretty good for us uh, here in, in on the east side because you're out there trolling along those those mud transitions and, and pulling blades and 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 that's been really good for us too. So, but yeah, I mean, bass wise, it's you know, like there's bass all over the lake. You do typically catch on average nicer bass on the east side versus the west side, uh, but uh, the number of bass is population is, is incredible, and the largemouth population is better on the west side than it is the east side. So. It's kind of a pick-and-choose deal and kind of what you want to do. And the other bonus for me this year is um, lately the, um, the the panfish have just been just everywhere. And and so we've been working a lot of break lines. And that's the other unique thing is when you think about, you know, panfish, you think about weed beds. And, and you do find panfish in the weed beds up there, but you find a lot of bluegills on the edges of rocks and, and on those, those break lines. And, we were catching all kinds of bluegills, you know, last my last couple of trips up there a little over a week ago. And, I mean, every, anything from 8.5 up to 10 inches, um, just literally working areas for walleyes and catching bonus bluegills, So, uh, which could be a lot of fun, too. So there's really nice bluegills in the lake, and even crappies in the spring and fall can be really good. There's some really good fall crappie fishing uh, to be had. So it's, uh, it's kind of one of those lakes that you kind of tucked up in the corner. People forget about if we ever get a chance to you know, hook up the boat and, and go to a destination, it's well worth it. Okay, sounds great. Uh, have you had a chance to fish anything else lately? Uh, yeah, I've actually been home here for about a week, so I've had a lot of football stuff, so I've uh, just got a chance to fish for fun for a couple of days, which I don't get to do all that often, and so I spent a little bit of time around the Hackensack area just chasing smallmouth, and I wish there's some phenomenal lakes in the Hackensack area uh, for multi-species, but some really good, really good bass lakes, and uh we had a lot of luck. I took a, one of my former players out our last uh, Friday with a couple coaches and and uh, got out with our family that uh, we do some deer hunting with uh, on their land. And Toby and uh, Murph and I, we did that, and uh, I took the kids bass fishing, and we caught some really dandies, just, just drop shot mainly, um, and uh, with uh, either live leeches or just various plastics and some tubes and 
and uh, and with the kiddos, even slip bobbers, but uh, the smallmouth were out on you know mainly rock piles and you know 15 to 22 feet of water, and and uh, we caught some dandies, everything from you know 16 up to 20 inches, and uh, when you get a chance to catch those kind of small mice, that's uh, that's a ton of fun. Oh, absolutely, it is. Um, yeah, we're starting to see the the walleye start to slow down now, as you would expect in late July. But still, I mean, when I talk to people, they're still finding them. It's just taking more time, and it's a little bit harder to find them right now. Yeah, no, it's just that time of year, and you know, you just gotta be willing to, you know, try different things, and you know, just you never now and then call an audible, you know, and say we're gonna either do something different or. You know, I think really the name of the game this time of year is just covering ground. And that's why, you know, you take a look at the presentations like that we've been doing on Vermilion and, you know, Lindy rigging and pulling spinners and pulling crankbaits. And, you know, all the, all, the only reason you're doing those things is because the fish are spread out. And, and because there's so much bait in the system and all these systems right now, these fish are going to be spread out because there's bait everywhere. And you just, you, the more ground you can cover, the more fish you typically can connect with. And hopefully that's going to up your odds, you know. So it's just one of those deals. You just got to be willing to, you know, you can't always put a square peg in a round hole. You know, it doesn't work. Last I checked, and and um, you know, it's just that's what you got to do. You got to have different presentations tied up, and some days you're going to hit them, and some days you're going to not, and that's fishing, and that's that's what makes it fun. All right, Jason. Before I let you go, you have time for a fast five. I do. Okay, here we go, Jason Freed. Fast five. Three. Question fast number one: five. What is your favorite movie of all time? I would have to probably say Rudy, being a football guy and all. Well, most of the football coaches that are also fishing guys always go with either Rudy or Remember the Titans. So. And that would be right there as well. <laughs> yes. All right, question number two. Young Jason Freed growing up, uh, coming home from school, getting his one hour of TV. What was the show he needed to watch? American Gladiators. <laughs> Question number three, hard water or soft water? 100% soft water. I think I'm becoming, uh, I think I'm becoming allergic to hard water. <laughs> you and me both, man. You and me both. <laughs> Question number four, you've been told you have one more meal on earth. What is going to be that meal? Oh, man. It'd be a toss-up between the good old steak and a potato and a salad or... I've kind of grown uh, fond of walleye tacos lately, so it'd be, it'd be one or the other, but I think I'd probably stick with the old steak and salad and potato. Well, you don't even need the salad because you only got one more, you know, meal That's left. That's true. That's true. I could, then I'd probably throw some good dessert of some sort in there. <laughs> All right. Final question. Are you a pop drinker? I am not. No. I, 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 I do not appeal to me all that much, and so I uh, drink a lot of water and... Uh, yeah, that's really honestly about it. A few things here and there, but I'm not a pop guy. Okay. And bonus question. By the end of October 2023, who will own Babe's Bell? Kevin, we know that answer, Kevin. <laughs> but I'm not going to put it on air because I don't want to give anybody uh, you know, false report material. <laughs> All right. All right, before we wrap it up, Jason, if people uh, are heading out this weekend, uh, really, what should they be fishing for? What do they need to bring with them? Uh, you know, it's uh, one of those deals. I would definitely have crawlers with you. If you're going to go out fishing right now for walleyes, uh, that's been good. You know, leeches are getting ooh, pretty tough to get right now, especially good leeches. But if you could find some good leeches, the flip bobber bite is still good. And then the other big one is probably the other two, if you're going to go artificials, uh, jigging wraps, 
have been really, really good, I know, in the area, as well as uh, the, the, the crankbaits. You can you start trolling cranks, whether it's long lining or, or trolling lead, that's going to be a good way to put some fish in the boat. And if people want to head up to Vermilion and uh, and learn from the best, how do they get lined up with you? They just got to give, give us a call at 855-LOA-HOOK. Um, go to our website, leisureoutdooradventures.com, and either myself or Justin can get you out on the water. It's some, and I will say there is some phenomenal fishing and when you get into September up there in October. It is, uh, it's a pretty special fall fishery. All right, that's Jason Freed from Leisure Outdoor Adventures and head coach of the Brainerd Warrior football team, talking a little bit of both, uh, more fishing than football. That's the way it goes on this show. Jason, it's always great to have you here. Thanks for taking the time. Thanks, Kevin. Up next, we ask the aquatic biologist, Dr. Andrew Hafes of Bemidji State University. I'm Kevin Cochran of Kevin Cochran's Musky Guide Service, and I catch fish bigger than Kev Jackson on a daily basis. Well, it's time to ask the aquatic biologist, Dr. Andrew Hafes, another question. Andy, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. This is from one of your students, and it makes sense that one of your students would like to know the answer to this question, and it gives you a chance to be, uh, you know, the marketing guru of uh, Bemidji State <laughs> yeah. University Aquatic Biology for a moment. Um, what are the job prospects for an aquatic biologist? So I always tell my students a, a few things. Um, our students are really, really successful at getting jobs under certain circumstances. If you're really passionate uh, about becoming an aquatic biologist and, you know, do the research projects, get involved on campus, you're willing to move from your hometown, that's a really, really big one. Our school is uh, phenomenal at placing students uh, around the country. And then hopefully through time, as you gain your experience, you can come back uh, to where you really want to be. During my travels, I went to Arkansas, I met my wife there, but I hated it down there, right? <laughs> so then uh, I was in California and West Virginia, and now I'm where I want to be uh, forever. I always knew I wanted to be in northern Minnesota or northern Wisconsin. Okay. So I think the job prospects are, are good and getting better. Mm-hmm. And if you're passionate about it and willing to move around and get involved and keep your grades up, uh, we do a really good job at BSU getting you prepared for that. You know, for me, what I would know is, okay, there's – you know, if you're going to be an aquatic biologist, you're either going to be a professor, teacher, like uh, like Andy is, or you're going to be like the many, 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 many people I talk to in the DNR about things like that. But there are other job possibilities too, correct? Oh, for sure. Uh, you know, there's nonprofit agencies as, as well. Uh, I was kind of bring up something like maybe the Nature Conservancy was a, a place where I was always seeing advertising jobs in the field that I was interested in. There's for-profit companies. I can remember being hired by a consulting company one time um, to try and monitor the intake of a factory to see how many fish they were killing. Uh, the universities, like you mentioned, um, mm-hmm. tribal agencies. We've had some students get hired on up at Red Lake DNR uh, in the past. Mm-hmm. The federal system as well, Fish and Wildlife Service, Forest Service, National Park Service. They all have aquatic biologists as well. So there's lots of different opportunities out there. But I think the majority of our students probably envision themselves being come becoming some sort of state agency rep um, where they're managing a resource. Mm-hmm. So what made this field engaging for you? Well, <laughs> that's a great question. Um, I loved fishing when I was in high school, mm-hmm. uh, but I actually thought I was going to be a golf course superintendent when I went into college. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So this, I did not envision being a professor. They, I just my junior year, somebody took me out electrofishing for a class where you're out using a boat, you know, and electricity to capture the fish. 
uh, and that clicked with me, and I was hooked and declared my major the next week. Um, oh, wow. And then I p- kept all my options open. I had a great advisor that, you know, made me aware of the grad school possibilities. And one thing I should say about grad school in our field is that oftentimes you don't pay for it. Mm. You're doing research uh, that pays for your school or you're teaching labs to help pay for your school. Mm. So I didn't have to pay for schooling after my undergrad. But I just kept my options open, applied for jobs that I thought were interesting all over the country, applied for grad schools. And um, every time, at every level, after my undergrad, my master's, and my Ph.D., I had a job that was lined up or I was very close to getting. And then they offered school. I got an email saying, you want to come to school more? Okay. So. Well, I'm a, I'm a Beaver alum, so I'm prejudiced. You're a Beaver professor, so you're prejudiced. For sure. Uh, we have the floor. So that's right. Uh, let's talk about Bemidji State University's aquatic biology program. Uh, what is it about it that, that that that's bringing students in, and what are you guys doing that that is really cool? Well, I think that all three of the professors really love working with the students. Uh, so your connection with the professors is much greater than lots of the other universities. The other thing is that our core is set up to have you get an enormous amount of hands-on experience. Uh, the lake is right there, and all three of the professors in the department, Dr. Gilda, Dr. Cook, and myself, use it like crazy and get you out in the field. I'm on the pontoon boat all day on Thursday uh, during the fall semesters. It's so fun, right? Um, so we're actually having fun with the students. They get to know us. We have great student clubs on campus, um, the American Fisheries Society, and there's a new wetland society on campus as well that's been established. So lots of really big benefits there, hands-on experience, close connections with the professors early on in your career and throughout. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, in and, and, and some of the uh, previous conversations we've had this year already, you've alluded to a couple different students and, and, and programs and things they were working on that have had big in- impacts in the fishing world, in the, in the real world. So that's obviously gives them a great opportunity, a great resume builder right there. Yeah, there's lots of opportunities to get involved right away when you get onto campus. I generally have, you know, four or five graduate students in my lab. They're all needing help from the undergrads, so you get that connection right away if you want. Um, all of the undergrads that go through the fisheries program have to do a research project with me. They don't even get a choice. So <laughs> <laughs> you're getting to work one-on-one with a professor, um, you know, on a research project that you're driving yourself. So lots of really cool opportunities to gain the hands-on experience and get involved. Okay, and it's it's certainly, uh, you know, I think it's the only – Full-time accredited aquatic biology program in the state of Minnesota, correct? Right. So aquatic biology, it's one of the only majors there is around in this part of the country. And then the other thing is that that fisheries emphasis is certified you know, nationally. We follow the certification standards of the American Fisheries Society. So when you get done, you can be hired by the MNDNR. Okay. I don't, it's pretty challenging to do that at any other university around. Okay. So you probably won't even make it through human resources <laughs> unless you were very, very careful at those other campuses. All right, for uh, parents who are listening and saying, my kid would really be into this, or kids that are listening and saying, well, I'm going to college next year. This sounds interesting to me. Next steps. Oh, for sure. Come and visit. I'll give you a tour around campus. I'd love to meet with you, um, talk about your concerns, You know, uh, show you all the strengths, show you the research lab, show you the classrooms. Um, I'll spend an hour with you if you want. Come and visit. Uh, I'd love to meet with you. All right, he's Dr. Andrew Haves. Good guy, I'm telling you, firsthand, he's a good guy. If you're interested at all, certainly give him a call. And you know what? I've talked to Rick, and I've talked to Deb, and if I, is that everybody in the yep. – yeah, and, yep. I've, you know, and I've talked to the wildlife guys too. That whole crew, um, just really passionate people, 
uh, who do love working with students. And uh, if you, if this is something you're interested in, I, I honestly think you need to look at this seriously. Andy, thanks for the time today. Oh, thanks for the kind words today, Kevin. F-I-S-H-I-I-N-P-O-P-O-N-Y-N-Country. <laughs>